It's dark as a dungeon And the sun seldom shines And I question Lord, why must this be? Then he tells me there's strength in oh, Sin is not dealt with easily. And if it's, it's like dieting. I told my wife the other day, if I don't ever hear another advertisement for dieting, it'll be all right with me. Oh, and they rotate the same people through. And, and they do. They lose 45 or 50 pounds. And then two years later, they have to lose it again. Um, but we prescribe a way and we define a way. When I, I think probably if we just let God deal with our sin. You say, well, I'm, I'm looking for an easy way to lose weight. Uh, you got to burn off more calories than you consume. Uh, and that is not easy. Uh, if you're like me. I'd, food to me is recreation. I just love it. And I think also we want an easy way to deal with sin. Sin is not easily dealt with. It's a painful experience for us to finally come to the place that we say all of these arguments and excuses that I've been making are not arguments and, arguments and, and excuses at all. They only add to the sin I have committed. And just deal with the sin and put it under the blood of Christ and, and leave it behind us. And I hope that we're able to do that there could be those here uh, who, who perhaps have not been out in gross sin, but just through the years you've allowed yourself to grow colder and colder. There might have been a time that you would have heard singing like you've heard tonight and your heart might have leaped with joy. I tell you, when they start talking about redeemed, you can't hardly help but like that, you say. Uh, but in, in these last days, the love of many indeed will wax cold. And it could be that we've grown cold. We, we used to get excited about answered prayer, but we don't pray anymore. Our hearts used to be thrilled at the touch of God, but it's been a long time since we felt it. And... Uh, I'm not necessarily one who wants to live on feelings, though I do enjoy them. Don't you? Yeah, I'd far rather feel good than bad. Amen? Uh, I, I don't believe it is necessarily spiritual to say amen. But it could be. See? Oh, uh, So... I think what, what I wish we could do is just set aside every pre preconceived idea that we have and put ourselves before the Lord and say, Lord, whatever it is that you have in mind for my life, 
show me what I need to do to get there and do it. And I, I believe he'll do that for us. And I believe he'll give us direction. Now, oftentimes I know we love to hear the stories of those who have gone through great difficulty or opposition and have come out victorious. I think the problem is so few want to pay the price to have those stories to be told. They don't come cheaply. I love sitting around with missionaries and listening to them tell stories of veterans as, as, as well as the new guys, and they're telling stories about how God has worked in their lives. I enjoy that. I love, I love to hear those stories. But as I listen to them, I want to know I'm willing to pay the price to be able to tell them myself. That means we come out from the world and are separate. It makes us different. And to many, it makes us foolish. So whatever God has for you, listen for it. And uh, as the pastor mentioned, we're going to do our best to be out at a decent hour every night. I couldn't imagine us going past midnight any night. <clears throat> if it was the ball game, we wouldn't have a problem with that midnight business, you see. But uh, I, we're not going to stay just to stay. If, if God moves in and you feel like you need to move out, uh, do it quietly. Um, but uh, unless the Lord just specifically uh, prescribes it, uh, we're not going to be lengthy and uh, we'll get you out at a decent hour. But the time that we are here, let's just relax. The bills are going to be there when you get back to them. Amen. If your car broke down today, it'll still be broke down when you get out of church. Um, if there was a catastrophe at the house, that catastrophe is going to wait till you get back to it. Let's do all that we can. Push everything aside. Not only tonight, but for the next four nights as well. And let's say, dear Lord, we have met here to shut the world and everything else out. And we want to hear from you. Speak to us through the Calvary Quartet and through the preaching and and the, uh, each other as we fellowship. It, a beautiful sound to me is walking into a church before the service starts and hear all kinds of chatter. When I come in and it's deathly quiet, I wonder who is going to shoot whom. Who's mad, you know? They won't talk to each other. But I love to hear that. But let's come together to hear from the Lord. If you would turn in your Bibles with me, please, to the book of Romans, in chapter 3. To many of you, I'm going to talk about some verses for a few moments tonight that are exceedingly familiar to you. But I do have a point to make, and we'll do that, uh, I hope, by the grace of God, by the time we get uh, to the end. <clears throat> uh, perhaps you still use the Romans road in, in witnessing. It has long been... Uh, a favorite for, for those who witness to people to use. And we're going to look at a number of those verses uh, tonight uh, with some additions as well. So let's start out, if you would please, in Romans chapter 3 and verse number 23. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. For all have sinned and have come short 
of the glory of God. What are we attempting to live right for? A pat on the back? He looks spiritual to me. Uh, I hope that it is to the glory of God. Now, the, the couple I spoke with this morning uh, who, who has relatives in, in uh, Wakulla County, uh, are you here tonight? Are you here? Uh, I, I don't know many folks from Wakulla County who go to church on Sunday night, but are you? Okay. Uh, they're, they're, they're not here. Uh, tonight, but uh, I was uh, chatting with them uh, this morning, and they not only have been through Panacea, they actually have relatives in Medart, which is about three miles from Panacea, and uh, I, I think they said Sopchapi, which is about 10 miles from uh, Panacea, where we, uh, my wife and I went to school for most of our time in school, and then up to Wakala High uh, later on. Uh, but I was chatting with them uh, this morning. They knew all about mullet and cheese grits and hush puppies and, uh, and Wakulla County. And I, I didn't want to get too deep into the conversation, fearing that they knew more about me than I wanted them to know. You know, <laughs> um, it's a little mixed history there. And, you know, in those younger years, you don't, you don't think about how far those stories are going to go. Who would have, who, I would have never dreamed when I was doing them that they would last this long. Somebody ought to forget them. I would have think we have buried enough people that it would be forgotten by now. But, but here in, in this uh, verse that we're, we're looking at, the sin, is not a description of sin by our definition, but rather by God's definition. You see, it doesn't matter a great deal what I think about sin unless it matches what God thinks about sin. Because any one of us could say, yeah, I wouldn't do this, I don't see anything wrong with that. And well, that has changed a lot uh, over these last uh, years that I have been preaching the gospel. There, there are things that happen in, in church now that, oh my, we're, we're all lost our breath if we'd have heard of it happening in the church, uh, say, 40 years ago, you see. And so our perception of sin uh, is, is not as grounded as God's perception of sin. His has been from eternity past to eternity future. Let me show you what I mean. If you'll turn back to Romans uh, chapter number 1, we'll read <clears throat> a few verses of the Holy Spirit giving the apostle the words that he would write. Um, well, let's back up to verse 18. of Romans chapter 1 and verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Uh, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen being understood, understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because that when they knew God, 
They glorified Him not as God, but be, uh, but uh, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man, to birds, four-footed beasts, and creeping things. Wherefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this cause, God gave them up unto vile affections, for even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was meet. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whisperings, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, the second death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them to do them. In other words, they not only, they not only love sin, they love watching sin on TV. Don't shout too loud, you'll scare me. I'm saying to you the perception that we have of sin unfortunately is not always the perception that God has of sin. Men can excuse anything they want to do. But that doesn't make it right. It doesn't make it any less sinful because God has drawn the line and He never moves it for anyone. The one, one of the marvelous things about God is that you can be assured He never moves the goalpost. Wherever the fence was, it still is and will remain. All, uh, Paul says, have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Every one of us. And everyone you will ever meet has certainly sinned and has certainly come short of the glory of God. Chapter 5 and verse number 8, another familiar verse. But God commendeth His love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Well, I'm telling you, an easy verse to memorize. It, uh, it should be so precious and, and, uh, and blessed to each one of us. When we, when we look at ourselves as sinners and see ourselves as God sees us as sinners, 
And then we come to 5.8 to recognize that God has demonstrated or commended His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus Christ paid for my sins 2,000 years ago. That was a little while before I was born. And by the way, I bleach my hair out white so it looks this way. And I pluck it, you know, like I do my eyebrows. I don't want too much of it up there. Oh, the wonderful love of God that has been demonstrated to us in that He came to die for our sins long before we were ever born. God has demonstrated His love to us. Chapter 6 and verse number 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You have to work to go to hell. You have to work to receive wages to go to hell. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What an amazing reality. Why? Would someone work so hard to receive the wages of the second death, die and go to hell without Christ, when, just for the asking, God has the free gift of eternal life to bestow on every man, woman, boy, and girl? Yes. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So I don't have to pay anything to get it, do I? No, I, I, after I was saved, I was baptized. But, but baptism didn't add anything to my salvation. Uh, after I was saved and baptized, I became part of a local New Testament church. But becoming part of that New Testament church didn't add anything to my salvation. My salvation was as full as it was ever going to be the moment I confess the Lord Jesus with my mouth, believing in my heart that God hath raised him from the dead. And so you, you can't add anything to that. As a matter of fact, anything you attempt to add to salvation actually subtracts. What are we going to give to God that would seem anywhere near equal to what God has given for us? Nothing. Chapter 8 and verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. No condemnation. Jesus said to the woman taken in adultery, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. No condemnation. As a matter of fact, John said he didn't even come into the world to condemn us. He came to save us. How amazing is that? Stay in chapter 8, look at verse 28. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. For whom He did foreknow, He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son that we might be, uh, that He might be, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called, and whom he called, them he also justified, and whom he justified, them he also glorified. 
God determined beforehand. He predetermined that if you got saved, He's going to make you like Jesus. Now, He didn't predetermine that you would get saved, though He knew you would. He didn't make it happen. He, he gave, He paid the price to save you. But He says, once you are saved, I'm going to predestine you to be made like my son, Jesus Christ. I'm going to tell you something. God can do anything he wants to. He's God. And so if he says, there's going to be a change in your life. If I save you, I'm going to make you, begin to make you, over the process of time, like my son, Jesus Christ. So if you made a profession of faith and there has been no change in your life, either God can't do what He said He would do or you didn't get saved. Then He goes on in verse 30 to say it's, it's completed. Our, my salvation is completed. He speaks of uh, the call, the justification, and the glorification all in the past tense. I'm, I'm, in the mind of God, I'm as good as glorified. As a matter of fact, I'm seen sitting together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I'm dealing with time. Uh, I have a watch. Usually I have a phone in my pocket which has time on it. Uh, churches have clocks. So, well, I don't know why they have clocks. But churches have clocks. Uh, we're bound by time. I have a calendar. And uh, I'm constantly looking at these things, hopefully to be where I'm supposed to be, when I'm supposed to be there. God is not bound by time. No. Uh, anything that's going to happen a thousand years from now is as real to Him as if it's happening today. He isn't bound by time. We are. He isn't. So we look at things a bit differently. So when God saved me, He saw me on that very day. I was justified and I was glorified. My salvation is complete. You say, then you're saying you can't lose your salvation. Oh, I'm absolutely saying I can't lose my salvation. Well, you say, what if you sin against the Lord? I might go to heaven sooner than I thought. But I'm going to heaven. That's already been settled. In the heart of God, that has already been settled. I have been saved by His grace. I have been justified. I have been glorified. Skip on over to chapter 10, if you would. Verse number 1, Romans 10. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. And I bear them record that they, are, they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. Not one of us here tonight, saved by the grace of God, got saved by the law. But I tell you, the law was a good schoolmaster and taught us uh, clearly 
that in this flesh we could not please God. And in this flesh no one can. Only Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was able to please Him, and He paid the full price for the rest of us and our redemption before God. The law was never given by God with the intent that it would save. It was given with the intent that God would prove to us we couldn't save ourselves. And that we needed someone to come and pay the price for us. And that someone indeed did come and he did pay our price. And these verses we've uh, considered before, but in chapter 10 as well, in verse 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whosoever believeth in him, uh, on him uh, shall not be ashamed. Well, there's no difference between the Jew and the Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I would say that many of us in this room tonight had someone sit down and go through some of these verses with us. And uh, as a result of that, probably, uh, we prayed and were saved by the grace of God. If it wasn't these verses, then it was John's road. Or if it wasn't John's road, it was through preaching or Sunday school teaching or uh, a witness of a mom or a dad. But, uh, but we came to Christ because the Word convinced us that we were sinners and God was still willing to save us we trusted Him and passed from death to eternal life. Now, you think about this. When, when you consider sin and salvation, I tell you, Paul is spending, what, the first 11 chapters, actually, of the book of Romans, convincing us that whether we believe it or not, God believes it, that we have sinned against Him. And, and that in spite of our sin, He was still willing to save us and demonstrate His love toward us so that He could redeem our lives and one day take us to glory where, where He is abiding. But then we get to chapter 12. And uh, the picture changes. Romans chapter 12 and verse number 1, Paul says, I beseech you therefore, you see that? I beseech you, I, I beg of you, I plead with you. Therefore, on the basis of what you have read in my first 11 chapters that I've written to you. Now, yes, I know they weren't in, divided into chapters and verses when he wrote them. But in, in these words that I've given you in these first 11 chapters, I beseech you on the basis of that, I Plead with you, I beg of you on the basis of that. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. Now he has revealed to us our unworthiness of salvation. He has also revealed to us God's willingness to provide for us this salvation. And he said, I am beseeching you on the mercies of God to look at life differently than you used to. He's saying, in essence, God deserves us to look at things differently now than we used to. 
I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. <clears throat> One of the things, when I was a young pastor, uh, that would torque me the most, is for someone to say to me, Preacher, it doesn't matter what's on the outside, it's what's on the inside that counts. And I'd bristle at that. And more than likely on that day, I'd preach on hell. I, it wasn't that I wanted to get something off of my heart. I wanted to get something off my chest. And so I'd preach hard that day. Uh, and then it dawned on me one day, you know, there's some truth to that. Because I also learned from the Bible that what is on the inside will show up on the outside. Yes, it will. You say, oh, that, that's, that's not me. Mm, look a lot like you. Huh? But this ought to put that to rest. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your, what is that next word? Body. God's evidently interested in the outside and what we do with it. That you present your bodies. See, soul's already been taken care of, first 11 chapters. That's done. That's settled. We're, as a matter of fact, we're already sitting together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus as a result of our acceptance of the salvation that He provided for us. So the soul. That's dealt with. That's taken care of. Paul said, now, we're moving on beyond the soul because you're still going to be hanging on this body until you go home to be with the Lord. And so let's talk about that a little bit, he says. He said, I want you to present your bodies a living sacrifice. Oh, don't, don't answer me out, but would you die for Christ? <clears throat> We've seen some horrible situations in the Middle East in the last number of years. Men put in cages and submerged. Men burned. Men beheaded. If you knew that was coming, could you still stand for Christ? I can only say I hope I would. But the point Paul is attempting, I believe, to drive home here is not, are you willing to die for Christ? But rather, are you willing to live for Christ? Are you willing to make it obvious to the people you work with and, and do business with and live around? Are you willing to make it obvious to them that you are already sitting together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus right now? Are you willing to present your body a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God? And then he says, which is your reasonable service? He's hearkening back now 
by the mercies of God, do we not see that this is our reasonable service? God, God wasn't trying to persecute us when He told us to go to church. Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. If you read in the book of Acts, you'll find that they were, and they met in homes, didn't have big buildings like we do today. And they went from house to house daily, breaking bread, sharing the word. So in essence, they were meeting every day 2,000 years ago. And now here we are, and we see the approaching of the coming of the Son of God. And he says, we ought to be meeting more. I'm guessing we ought to be meeting about twice a day now. So it seems to me that he's saying you should add to your commitment, not subtract from it. Well, you know, you know, Sunday night, and, yeah, I know. I know. Uh, Wednesday night, you know, I know. It's only the Bible. Who cares? I could watch I Love Lucy. Or Barney. Huh? Pretty, pretty amazing how we reveal who we are by our choices. I'd rather play golf than go to church. I don't, I don't know anything I'd rather do than go to church. You say eat. Yeah, but I eat a lot at church. Oh, I, I, I love so very much going to church. He says, I want you to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And then he says, and be not conformed to this world. Don't let this world mold you. Hmm? No. You're, you're, you're cut out of a different fabric. You're, you're made in a different mold. We're, we're being conformed to the image of Christ, not to the image of the world. He says, be not conformed to this world, but rather be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. This is where we lose it. Yeah. This is where we lose it. The thought of sin uh, is not sin. The incubating of the thought of sin is. It comes into our minds, and I'm sorry, but you're not going to be able to avoid that happening. But what we have to learn to do is immediately renew our minds. Bring every thought under the captivity of Christ. Uh, let every word that proceeds out of our mouth be pleasing unto the Lord. Capture that thing and say immediately, understand, if I did that thing, it would be sin. I reject it, I refuse it, I put it aside. God, bring my thoughts into your captivity. By the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. When he says we are transformed, we, we get our 
idea of metamorphosis from that word. This transformation. We, we, are, we grow from a bug to a butterfly. Oh, not as far as this world sees. Uh, they'll, they'll just say things like, well, you're just a fanatic. And then I watch them at a ball game. And uh, grown men will paint themselves. Grown men. And, 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 and they'll, they'll put all kinds of unusual and odd garments on. But I'm the weird one. I wear a bow tie. Give me a break. And, and then I, yeah, when I watch these guys, I'm, I'm talking, we're not talking about children. We're talking about grown men and they make a touchdown. Their behavior is, is kindergarten like. I want to say good night, grow up, man, you got paid $10 million to do that. And yet we are the strange ones. Then color me strange. I believe the Bible. I believe that Jesus Christ saves from sin and is the only one who can save from sin. I believe that He saved us to bring glory unto Himself. And I believe that in order to bring glory unto Him, we then must transform our lives that it would bring glory to His namesake, not to our own. That we may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Oh, how important it is to know and do the will of God. I can hardly read this without thinking of Abraham. Well, actually, I think more of Isaac, probably, than I do Abraham. God's, God said, I'm going to give you a son. And he, and he told him, he said, go out and look up at the stars. He said, uh, can you number them? You will no more be able to number those that will come from your loins either. And, uh, and so he only had one boy. one boy. Well, actually he had two, but he only had one that he was supposed to have. We, we, the world would be a much calmer place if Abraham had not listened to Sarah. Oh, she gave him horrible advice. Yes, and the world is afire today because of it. But nonetheless, he gave him Isaac. And uh, he said, from Isaac, uh, this nation is going to be born. And, and when Isaac was pretty near grown, he, he said to Abraham, I want you to go three days journey away and, and I want you to offer your son as a sacrifice to me. Wow, he'd waited so long. And, and now, if this son dies, wh where are all those people going to come from? <clears throat> but in obedience to God, he loads everything up, gets his servants, his donkeys, his son, and they make all three days journey. And he God brings him to the mountain where he wants him to be and he heads up the mountain. And of course, everyone's going to wait for Isaac and Abraham and, and uh, his son said, 
Dad. He said, we have the fire. Oh, we have the wood we need. He said, uh, where's the lamb? And Abraham said, son, God will provide himself a lamb. And they went on up the hill. Now, Abraham is well into age. And uh, he is not going to be able to wrestle the strong boy onto that altar. The only way that the boy is going to the altar is if he willingly goes himself. And he obeys his father, and he does. Everything is in place. Abraham perhaps takes his son by the hair, pulls his head back, lays the knife to his neck, believing that if God has him kill his son, God will raise that boy up to go back down with him. And, and the Lord said, Abraham, Abraham. Don't you suppose at that moment Isaac was plumb proud that his daddy had not gotten bitter over this thing, but that his father believed the will of God was the one most important thing happening in his life? Should it not be that real to us as well? Should we too not want to know the will of God and by the grace of God to carry it out? I think we should. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you. Not only for your salvation, though certainly thank you for that. But for your patience that endures throughout our lives. David sinned against you and it was brought to his attention in a very certain way. And he cried out, have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness. According unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me throughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. I could be tonight, Lord, speaking to someone. That sin is before them. Left unconfessed. And it has become burdensome. Oh, may they throw themselves on your loving kindness and mercy. There could be someone here tonight, Lord, who has not yet accepted these first 11 chapters. Who has not accepted your definition of sin. And perhaps... It's clouded their judgment about your perception of salvation. Open those blinded eyes, I pray, that they might see. And may every one of us saved by your grace be determined when we leave this place tonight that we're not going to be conformed to this world, but we're going to be 
transformed. That we're going to go through this metamorphosis as you have planned for us. That we indeed, on your mercies, will present our bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto you. And for all that you accomplish in us tonight, we'll thank you and praise you in the sweet name of Christ. Amen. If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com, or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church Bonita Springs, Florida. Also, you could call the church office at 239-947-1285. Thank you, and God bless.